You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Connection with our text this afternoon, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 104. Psalm 104 is a psalm that is full of providence of God, His ongoing upholding and governing of the world, and the psalmist ends in praise and adoration to God. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All, o, o Lord, my God, You are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps Himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of His upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds His chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He sets the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood before the mountains. At your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the air nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests, the stork has its home among the pine trees, the high mountains belong to the wild goats, the crags are a refuge for the conies. The moon marks off the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then man goes out to his work, to his labor until evening. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and throw in a Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in His works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to Him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. And we'll turn to Romans chapter 8, another passage that speaks about the providence of God, 
passage which is like the crown on the top of Psalm 104 as it speaks about how God works in this world. Romans 28, beginning at verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not, all, not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is He that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Our text this afternoon is the Word of God as it's summarized regarding God's providence and confessed in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 10. What do you understand by the providence of God? God's providence is His almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with His hand, He still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things, come to us not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by His providence? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from His love. For all creatures are so completely in His hand that without His will, they cannot so much as move. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the note that the Heidelberg Catechism sounds as it discusses God's providence in this Lord's Day, Lord's Day 10, is one of trust. Trust. We confess our Creator, Upholder, Governor God by faith. And as we do so, We trust in Him. I'm sure if you were to talk to our brother, Van Spronson, who's going to be professing his faith this afternoon among us about how the Lord has worked in his life and his expectation for the future. In fact, what God is doing right now, I imagine you'll hear that same note. It's trust. 
trust in His good, perfect, heavenly Father. And that's a good note to sound. That's a biblical note to sound. Speaking about God's providence doesn't mean that we have to understand everything about the way that that God works and that God has worked in His creation or how He continues to work. We don't have to know why God does what He does, nor do we have to understand the mysteries of His plan and purpose. They are called mysteries for that very reason. What it is important for us to know, what our God Himself makes clear to us for our comfort and confidence, is that He does work. He is in control. That everything in this whole universe is in His hands. And that those hands are powerful. At the same time, those hands are infinitely loving. God's providence is His fatherly care over everything. We speak about God's providence, really, we're just speaking about His fatherly care over the world, over our lives, for our good, and most of all, for His own glory. God's providence is His fatherly care over this entire world. In fact, maybe the the word there isn't right, over the world, over the universe, over everything that we know about and that we don't know about. Everything that we can understand and everything that we can't understand. Everything that we can see and everything that we can't see. God is in control. Now that fact that God reigns, governs, and rules over this universe is not believed by everyone, nor confessed by everyone. It's ignored, in fact, by many, discounted, even laughed at. Crack open most science textbooks and you won't find any mention of of God's providence, how, how God looks over, watches over, carries out anything in this universe. Many things are explained, many things are understood. But it's not very often that the credit is given to God. The most famous physicists and scientists seem to go out of their way to exclude God from the picture. But we believe, as Hebrews 11 states, that the universe was formed at God's command. And we believe that ever since then, God has continued to uphold and govern it by His power. This is what we confess when we confess that God the Father is the Creator of heaven and earth. Now, just because it's not acknowledged by most science textbooks and perhaps by the most popular scientists doesn't mean that the scientific enterprise is somehow contrary to God's Word and that a scientist can't confess the providence of God 
Not at all. In fact, it's widely recognized, especially among believers, that the scientific advances that have happened in history, particularly in the West, particularly in the Christian West, have been have been born out of a Christian worldview. That is, an understanding that God is in control of everything. And therefore, because God is in control of everything, everything moves in accordance to His will. Everything moves in a manner that is consistent because God Himself is consistent. He doesn't change like shifting shadows, James says. And so there's a logic There is an order and there is a beauty in creation and everything that has been made in all the processes of the the functioning of this world. It's possible for a scientist to look deeply into the vast things of this universe and the small things and everything in between and appreciate therein something of the glory of God. In fact, it's the highest goal, the highest achievement of every scientist, not only to appreciate the glory of God, but through that investigation and understanding of of this universe and its functioning, to give glory to God. From the elementary student who's studying plants and trees and the way that they grow, incredible, to the quantum physicist, studying the tiniest and the most theoretical things possible. Science at all levels can and should be pursued by Christians, those who confess Christ as their Savior and God as their Creator, upholder, and Governor. Understanding that He is in control of everything And that He intimately is involved in the operations of everything on earth and in heaven. God's providence is His almighty and ever-present power. Power. What is this power of God? It's hard to describe. It would be really nice to have a nice metaphor for for how God exerts His power and control in this universe, but the fact is that it is beyond our ability to comprehend. As much as we can understand things that operate in this world, we can at once understand how God holds it all together and does it all at the same time according to His will, His plan, and His purpose. Some have searched for metaphors. Some people have spoken about God's power and providence, something like a game of pool. You know, a game of pool, yet you you shoot the cue ball, and the cue ball moves, and it it hits one ball, and that ball hits another ball, and another ball, and another ball. One one motion leads to a chain reaction of motions. All of a sudden, there's there's balls moving all over the table. You say God is like the the, either the person playing pool or the, the cue stick makes that first move, and he sets off a whole bunch of motions after that. Isn't that amazing? God makes all those things happen. But even this example does really no justice at all to the power of God's providence. God isn't only the first cause in a series of cause and effects. 
It is, God isn't just like the person hitting the cue ball or the cue stick hitting the cue ball. God's power exists in everything that happens in that whole situation. God sets off the first motion. God also propels the ball forward. God foreordains which balls are going to be struck. We want to talk about it properly. God controls the gravity, the forces of friction, the air pressure, the temperature, everything that has an effect on those balls. God is in control of everything imaginable. You you can't think of a metaphor that that can reach to the heights of, of God's power at work in providence. God's power is infinitely beyond our capacity to understand. And that's pretty amazing. We have some pretty amazing technology these days. Extremely powerful computers that can, can receive data at, at rates that are astronomical, mind-boggling. They respond in time. They can anticipate things. They can move. They can control countless number of things at the same time. And yet, even the most powerful computer is, is nothing compared to the power that God exerts constantly, without fail, throughout the entire universe. When the biblical authors want to express God exerting His power in the world, they reach for the heights, but they can only give us pictures of the power of God at work in providence. Job you probably know from the book of Job, he asked God to justify his actions so that he could understand why God was doing what he was doing. God responded basically by telling Job, listen, Job, you can't understand. You just can't understand. The psalmist gives us a picture of God's control and in Psalm 104, gives us these pictures that astound us. And yet, even they fail to to show us the, the fullness of God's power. He wears light like a garment. He just wraps it around himself. Something we can't hold, God wears like a garment. He rides the wind and he orders it around like his messengers. Go there now, stop. He's constantly in control of the wind. He establishes the world like a master builder completely in control of of his material. He knows exactly what he's doing and he makes it firm. He guides the rivers along its course. Who decides where a river is going to go at any one time? Who makes its turn? God does. God says you're, you're going to travel along this path. Maybe another point is going to move it over. God coaxes the grass out of the ground to feed the animals. And it goes on and on and on in Psalm 104. Really what the biblical authors can do and what they only can do is categorically, finally, confidently state that everything is in God's control. Nothing happens outside of it. No molecules formed. No atom exists. No electron spins outside of God spinning it. No galaxy is 
is so large that he cannot and constantly say to it, move. God is in control. It's incredible. In the real sense of the word, it's incredible. It's unimaginable. We cannot understand it. It's also delightful and praiseworthy that God is in control. As incredible and delightful and praiseworthy as it is, as much as it gives us confidence and peace and fills our heart with praise to know that God is in control of everything in this whole universe, it's actually not this aspect of God's providence that receives the most attention in God's Word. Instead, the aspect of God's providence that receives the most attention is the care and control that He exerts over the lives of His people. It's the care that He shows to us. As much as nothing in creation is outside of His attention, it's His people that receive His special attention. That's amazing. When the Lord Jesus speaks about God's care, He does so with the specific purpose of comforting us. Matthew 10, 29-30, Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth much more than two sparrows. In Romans 8, the Apostle Paul is speaking in in these grand cosmic terms about the effect of our sin on all of creation. How it was subjected to frustration by the fall into sin and groans under the curse. Shortly after speaking in these broad terms, Paul says in, in verse 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. In all things, in creation, in upholding, in governing the entire universe, incredible and vast as it is, God works for the good of those who love Him and who He has called according to His purpose. We'll spend more time with that in the next point. But realize that he is at least saying this, God not only rules and governs the universe and all of us, but God rules and governs the universe for us. The Catechism expresses that beautifully in answer 27. God's providence isn't merely His almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with His hand, He still upholds and governs heaven and earth and all creatures. But God does all that for us. So that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things, come to us, not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. It's incredible 
to try to think about power of God's providence. It's even more mind-boggling to try and understand how He does it all for us. With us under His special care and concern and attention. But as we move to our third point, for our good, let me raise a question that can be very difficult, vexing question to deal with. It's the question of why. Why? Not the question of, why does God care so much about us? That's a beautiful thing. That's something we can easily accept. No, but the question is, why, if God does care so much about us, then why does He allow such painful and difficult things to happen to us? To our loved ones? To His children here, around us? And even more to so many of our brothers and sisters throughout the world? If you think about it, it becomes an extremely difficult question to deal with especially for a Christian, because we know that everything is under God's control. Nothing is outside of God's control. It's not as though we believe things just happen. Well, I don't know, it just happened. That's just the way things are. No, we believe and trust and know that all things happen under God's sovereign control. And that God directs all things. So that why question can be very difficult. We'll work our way toward answering that. Let's first consider how the Catechism approaches this question in question answer 28. It asks us, what does it benefit us to know? And it speaks later about adversity, but the question is raised perhaps in a neutral context. But we could insert a context to that question We could imagine someone who is suffering, is having a difficult time in life, or is watching someone suffering. That can be even harder. And asking the question, okay, God's in control. What does it benefit me to know that? Is there a benefit? Well, there certainly is. It's a benefit that comes by faith. These are things we confess by faith. It doesn't come always by sight. You don't always see that benefit right in front of your eyes. The catechism echoes in, in answering the, the painful, God's word from the painful trial of Job, the straightforward words of James. It echoes the persecutions experienced by the early church, even as the Apostle Paul wrote to them. Describes the benefit in three ways. We can be patient in adversity. And we can be thankful in prosperity. And we can have a firm confidence regarding the future that no matter what, Because of Christ's love, we are safe. 
More of our confessions speak about God's providence. The Belgic Confession speaks powerfully about God's providence. And the Belgic Confession, you have to remember, was written by Guido de Bre, And it wasn't written during one of those times of thankful prosperity that the Heidelberg Catechism mentions. No, it was written during a time of persecution, when people are dying for their faith, when people are being singled out because of the name of Christ, thrown in jail. It was a time when the Spanish Empire was in control of, of the lowlands where Debre lived. It was written by a man who himself, six years after writing these very words, would die for the sake of Jesus Christ. A man who was watching his friends and his brothers and sisters in the Lord suffer. That's the background of these words. Now listen to them from Article 13 as they they come alive in that context. He says, We believe that this good God, after He created all things, did not abandon them to, or give them up to fortune or chance, but that according to His holy will, He so rules and governs them that in this world, nothing happens without His direction. Yet He is not the author of the sins which are committed, nor can He be charged with them. For His power and goodness are so great and beyond our understanding that He ordains and executes His work in the most excellent and just manner, even when devils and wicked men act unjustly. And as to His action surpassing human understanding, we will not curiously inquire more than our capacity allows us but with the greatest humility and reverence, we will adore the just judgments of God, which are hidden from us. And we content ourselves that we are pupils, students of Christ, who have only to learn the things which He teaches us in His Word without transgressing those limits. We're students of Christ. We know Him. We follow Him. We know what He's done for us. And so in Him, because of Him, we can commit ourselves to trusting in God. And trusting in that same love that God has expressed to us in Christ. It's by that same love that He still so rules and directs everything in this life. In Romans 8.28, the Apostle Paul urges us to take that very attitude. He says, For we know in all things that God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. God has a plan, he's saying there, an eternal purpose which He's committed to working out. And as Paul reveals, our own election, our salvation is part of that eternal plan. And that eternal plan is the blessing and eternal salvation of those whom God has called. How does God work out that eternal plan? Through the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which has already happened. And so how do we know that God is working for our good? Because He's already shown us in Jesus Christ. Romans 8.31 If God is for us, 
If God has shown Himself to be for us in Jesus Christ, who can be against us? He who did not spare His only Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? Paul goes on to say, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has accomplished so much through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is still at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, carrying out His eternal plan. And so, no matter what happens, we are safe and we can be confident that God is working for our good. To go back to that why question, why do these things happen? we come to realize that God doesn't really answer all of our why questions. But what He shows us is this. He says, listen to me. Hear my word. I've created you. I've called you. I've guided you. I've given my Son for you. I've conferred my Holy Spirit upon you. I've confirmed my promises to you. I've lavished my love and my gifts over you. And now what you need to understand is this. And no matter what you are experiencing, I'm here for you. God has shown us His love in Jesus Christ. Now, even with all that we've just said about God's special care for us, the comforting truth about God's providence is this. As much as God loves us and cares for us and works for our good, the fact of the matter is, it's really not, it's not really all about us. It's not really all about us. Why is this comforting? Well, as special as we are in God's love, in God's sight, we're not really that special. He is. God is. If God's plan was was all about us, it would be something, kind of a small plan. But God's plan is about far more than just us, just my life, my circumstances. God upholds and governs all things for our good because that's part of His larger goal of bringing peace and restoration to this entire world, heaven and earth, so that God will be wholly, completely, endlessly adored and worshipped and praised. It's not really all about us. It's all about our great King 
and His glory. God expresses His providence. He shows us that He's working out a plan. He shows us in every way that He is committed to, to bringing that plan to fulfillment. To that time when He will be all in all. At every moment, at every time, for all of eternity, it is all about Him. Praise Him. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.